Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature part one with a great Chicago Blackhawks defenseman and Hall of Famer, Chris Chelios. I mean, who couldn't get excited playing for the, you know, in, from in front of that crowd in the old stadium that walk up the stairs and, you know, we had a really intimidating team, you know, big, tough team. And that was what Keenan and Daryl Sutter kind of encouraged that. We were very undisciplined, but you ask any team that would come into our building, they, they hated it. Chris Chelios is a free spirit. He's not shy when it comes to a challenge. Consider he played until he was 48, 28 years amassing three Stanley Cups, three Norris trophies, and respect from everyone he played for and against. He's currently an NHL analyst while making time to see myriad sporting events and spending downtime, whatever that means, with some famous friends, along with his family, which includes daughter Kaylee, herself an NHL analyst. Growing up in Chicago, you might think Chelios idolized hockey players, but that's not the case. So, Chris Chelios, Chelly, tell me a story I don't know. Well, it'd have to be Dick Butkus because every kid in my neighborhood where I grew up in the South Side wanted to be Dick Butkus. I actually had a football game called Dick Butkus. It was basically kill a guy with the ball. But, uh, yeah, you know, he was just – I love the Bears. Um, my parents, uh, my parents, we always, you know, look forward to those Sunday games. And uh, he, he was an icon, you know, along with – I didn't get a chance to see Gail Sayers. As, not as much Dick Butkus either, but a few more years. Um, but, yeah, and, and then down the road eventually ended up, you know, ironically – you know, I found a place in Malibu and he had moved there, you know, not you know long after he'd retired. So he's been out in Malibu, California and got an opportunity to meet him and become friends with him. And it's kind of like a childhood dream, I guess you'd say. It wasn't, you know, not that I didn't like Bobby Hull or Stan Makita or the rest of the Hawks, but Buckus was my guy. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about Hull and Makita because I grew up, I'm a few years older than you are, and I grew up and it was like Hull and Makita because I was a big hockey fan, Ernie Banks with the Cubs, but you loved Dick Butkus, and I, I would wonder if you were nervous when you first met him. I was. He's very intimidating, <laughs> uh, and, and once you get to know him, he's a totally different personality. He really like, tries to be funny. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he was as big, you know, almost looked like he was as big as he was, you know, 20 years after retirement, um, is when he played. And, um, when I first met him, he it was at a golf tournament in Chicago. They had the 86 bears team. And then they had, you know, all the defensive linemen from, you know, Dick Buckus, Zero Bradovich, uh, Buffon. Uh, I, I'm remiss. I can't remember a lot of them, but they, they sized up just as big as McMichael and Hampton and the rest of those guys. Was he, he's a pretty intimidating guy. And uh, like I said, he's a straight shooter. 
Um, if you piss him off, he'll let you know. But uh, it, it, just like I said, he's be, became a really good friend and his his family and his wife, Helen, who I guess a high school sweetheart. But again, it's, it's always good to see him when I, I travel out west and then he lives literally seven minutes away from me. So it's really convenient to, to go have lunch or, or dinner with him. You know, the first thing I think of when I think of you is longevity. And you played until you were 48. Why did you play that long? And was there a time before that that you said to yourself, enough was enough? The closest I got was really at the end of my you know career with Chicago. I think I was 38, 39, and things weren't going well for our team, you know, around that transition of becoming like a rebuild. Uh, and I, I struggled that year. The last year there, didn't we didn't make the playoffs or we were on the verge of not making the playoffs. And I was just I wasn't that guy that could play 30 minutes anymore and, and carry a team. And it's similar, really similar to what happened with Duncan Keith, uh, quite honestly, watching him at, the, at towards the end. Um, and I still think Edmonton, you know, misused him. They played him way too much. You know, he could have been a second power play unit guy, played against the other team's third and fourth line, but Edmonton didn't have the depth. You know, I was fortunate. You know, I played in Detroit, had a great team. Uh, they had just won two cups, and I, I just fit in nicely. And, um, you know, that's why I was able to play so long. I didn't have to uproot my family for the last 10 years of my career. Uh, sticking with one team so that that had most to do with it just being on a great team and of course you know staying relatively healthy and and not you know suffering any real significant injuries that you know would end your career well that takes a great deal of luck and so I wonder what you think of some of these people I'm going to mention to you first Tom Brady Brady pump Brady rifles to the corner oh it's caught touchdown Brandon Cooks, incredible! Tom Brady delivers in the clutch. Well, I don't think anybody wants to be the guy that takes out Tom Brady. <laughs> so <laughs> he's got that luxury and he's earned it for sure. Um, there's no question he takes care of himself. He's fitness, you know, first guy to the field, last guy to leave. Um, but it's a different sport. And, um, you know, Back in the day, you know, use Wayne Gretzky, for an example, there are guys that went after him. You know, he had guys to protect him, but that didn't really do him any good in the playoffs. And, you know, if it's me and I'm playing against Tom Brady, you know, especially in the playoffs, or, you know, first thing I'm going to do is take a 15-yard penalty on, on Tom Brady and rattle him. But, you know, <laughs> no one seems to want to be that guy. And, and, and he's smart. Obviously, he doesn't put himself in real tough situations, but – I mean, if I look back, I always thought, you know, Michael Jordan, there's no question, in my opinion, he's the greatest athlete ever. But I got to, you know, put Brady with him now after what he's accomplished. He's just, it's a year in and year out, he just dominates and remains healthy. I have to believe you admire him, if for no other reason, that he's still playing at age 45. Yeah, and he comes out and has a, you know, everybody's waiting for him to to to, to see his and decline and his, you know, and it, it's just not happening. Um, but I cheer for those old guys. You know, I'm looking at Zidane Charo. I don't think he's made a decision whether he's going to continue to play yet or not. But it's it's amazing, especially a guy his size, how he's managed yeah. to, you know, play as long as he did. And he's and the best thing about him is he's such a great team guy, and and ever all his teammates have nothing to good but good things to say about him. So that's always nice too. So, 
you know, Brady's, you know, he took less money over the years to, to build guys and surround himself with better players to allow that cap space for, for that. So, like I said, it's uh, it's fun to watch, and 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 I'm looking forward to watching his, you know, his season how it goes this year without Gronkowski. How about a guy like Yarmir Yager? Yarmir Yager, those powerful strides down the wing. Yager hits the brakes, curling drags beautifully past Tamander. Yager scores. There's one that brings you out of your seat. Ah. Unbelievable skill, but he bought his own team in Europe. And I, I don't know if he's still playing, but that's pretty good. You have that luxury of buying a team and then playing on that team. So <laughs> no one has much say. But he, again, he's another kid, uh, very serious the way he trained. I mean, he started in 91. He was like 20. Yeah, so he's got to be closing in on 50. I don't know how effective is he, but it's a different game over there. There's no hitting, you know, over in that league over there that, you know, you just kind of play offense so uh, quite honestly at 60 i could go play forward there and you know get 10 goals a year you know watch so, it don't do it <laughs> no i'm not going to but like i said it's not real competitive and but i mean he obviously loves playing and so what you know the, i'm sure the crowd loves watching him out there you know and what he's done over the course of his career I, I, I just saw those stats of goal scoring and ovechkin you know closing in on the next two guys. So that, he was a heck of a player, Yager. Really, really fun to watch. What about the Iron Man of all time, perhaps, Gordy Howe, who played into his 50s? Big father time uh, still doing his thing out here, and they're going to give him a standing ovation here in the Montreal Forum. A tremendous tribute to one of the most amazing athletes in any sport. Yeah, I mean, and he scored twenty-something goals, I believe, twenty or twenty-something goals at, at at fifty-two for his last year in the Hartford. So it's not like he was just, you know, just taking a spot. He was still pretty <laughs> to score that many goals at that age is crazy. And then I, I thought it was kind of a shame, you know, Patrick Marlowe just stuck around to break his record. Uh, I wasn't a fan of that, um, but you know, he's still for me, you know. You, you compare the great players, Gretzky, how, you know, Messier and, and so on. But when you're great, you're great. It's just different times, different eras, but no one better than Gordie Howe. That's for sure. You know, Gretzky as good, but I just don't think no one was ever better than Gordie Howe. Well, he was also considered the toughest guy too. Oh, he was a monster. Like for that years, the, the, you know, the late, late 50s, 60s, you know, early 70s, Gordy, you know, you look at guys like Bobby Hall, Ted Lindsay, very small in stature, but Gordy, you know, easily 6'2", thick, and, you know, didn't fight a whole lot, but he was dirty as they come, and that, those, you know, those elbows he was known for, you know, it looked like someone go to hit him, and all of a sudden they're laying on the ice, because Gordy just stuck his elbow on their chin and knock him out, so, but he was a big, big guy for that time when he played. Did your family ever say to you, Chris, hang him up? No, no. Really? No, no. My dad and my mom worried a little bit like any other mother, but my dad, like he enjoyed every minute, you know, from when I started playing youth hockey to, you know, to the end when I played for the Chicago Wolves, he didn't miss a game. You know, it was pretty entertaining, you know, and that's something like I, I enjoyed that my friends and family could, you know, get to see me play that long and especially your parents, you know, it gives them something to look forward to, 
you know, every game day and, um, and, and staying. I mean, it was a, just as big a part of their lives as it was mine to, to be able to, you know, travel and go to the games and, and watch the playoffs. So, and, and like any fans. So, but especially as a parent. There are not many players, Chelly, who played for the three original six teams. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any at the moment. I'm sure there were a few. You did, and you played in the Stanley Cup Finals for all three. You won with the Canadians uh, and the Red Wings, and you lost with the Blackhawks. I'd like to think this is not a coincidence. No, I, that was meant to be. Um, and obviously, in a perfect world, it would have been great to win that, you know, win the Cup with Chicago, my hometown, especially in 91 when we lost to Pittsburgh. Bacay gets it off the board. Chelios hits the point. In the But like I said, it's, there's a lot of history in those teams, obviously, and, and expectations, especially when I broke in with Montreal because of the success that that, you know, organizations had over the years. Um, tried to play for the Rangers a couple times, but the coaches, uh, because of, you know, my past history of the teams they played for, Terry O'Reilly hated me when he played with Boston and I played for Montreal so that he didn't want nothing to do with me when I tried to go to the Rangers. And the next go around, it was Tortorella. Uh, and we had a little bit of a history, not much. I liked John, you know, because he was American and hard nosed guy, but, um, he wanted to run that room and him, his team. And I think he was threatened by at, at that point in my career, a veteran coming in like that, maybe affecting what his plan was. So, but yeah, to play for three teams and, and especially be able to play for Chicago, my home team, that, that's pretty special. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Growing up in Evergreen Park, I assume you were a big Blackhawks fan then and probably a sports nut the way you are now. Yeah, I mean, baseball was my first love, for sure. That was my, my sport. I pitched. And when I wasn't pitching, you know, I played shortstop um, and played a lot of, you know, club hockey, played for the state team one year. Um, and it just worked well because it didn't interfere with hockey. Once baseball was over, you know, you rolled right into hockey. Football couldn't do that. I was, first of all, I was small and, and it was too much of a conflict with hockey. Um, but yeah, it's just, that seemed like, and you were able to play two sports back then. Even in high school, you could do that. And that's not, you know, not too many guys can do that now uh, with the schedules and the training. It's just too much. It interferes too much. But 
Yeah, I mean, and when you know football, like I said, it, it, I loved it, but I'm just like realistically too small, fast enough. But um, it, it's just like everybody in the neighborhood, you know, there seemed like I was grew up in that Evergreen Park, an Irish neighborhood. It seemed like every family had at least five or more kids in their family, so we were on the street every day, you know, playing something, you know, and and we like you said, we just rolled with the seasons. Your dad owned a chain of greek restaurants i assume you ate well but did you ever want to follow in his footsteps yeah not so much in the restaurants because mom was an unbelievable cook we weren't in the in the beginning anyway we were when we were younger i you know there's five kids in our family and my mom cooked every day even if you know there's only two of us there you know we were running around doing our our things their sports or you know scholastics uh, there was always a, a meal at, at five, six o'clock and mostly Greek, you know, that, that's, that's how we were raised. And, and yeah, my dad, he countless hours, you know, you know, 18, 20 hour days in restaurants, bars, you know, he was a, he was a worker. And, um, you know, I can remember the first one was Maxime's, a uh, pretty popular place downtown, the blue yep. note, blue note over on Halstead, 103rd and Halstead was one, one of his more successful nightclubs. And then it was a chain of like uh, restaurants uh, that didn't do so well. And, and that's, you know, not uncommon. It, it, it's 80% of those restaurants usually go out of business, but um, he had some good ones. He had some bad ones. And then, you know, when I was fortunate enough to get back to the, to the Blackhawks in 91, uh, the first thing I did was buy that place on Madison uh, and let my family run it. I had my mom, my dad, my, my three sisters run, you know, working there. So it's been in our blood from day one, and it, it, it was a lot of fun, um, a lot of hard work, and sometimes aggravating. But, you know, it kept the family together, even though you would, you know, fight sometimes about it. But it, it was it was great. And to interact with the fans, obviously, I was very approachable in the bars. The, the players went there, and I think that's what the fans enjoyed the most, was being able to go down to the you know, bar after the game and, and run, run into some of the players. You're talking about Chili's Chili Bar, which you had here and in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. And I basically, you know, what, what, the same thing I had in Chicago and Madison, I did the same thing in Detroit right next to Comerica park, the ball field and, and Ford field. And Joe Lewis was only about you know a mile away. So, and again, it, it's pretty special when you, you can go to the bar and, you know, the athletes are very approachable and interactive with the fans. And, and that's a, that's a pretty special thing. So I, I, you know, luckily in Detroit, we got to bring the cup to the bar. That was, you know, never forget forget that 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 week actually that we had that the cup in town and uh passing that thing around I, I like i said the only regret is i wish i'd have done it in chicago you know i bring the cup to chicago but with the wrong team unfortunately so uh, <laughs> but yeah it's uh it, it's been a, a, a lot of fun in that and that business and i'm glad i didn't have to rely on it for a living because it is really a tough business you played hockey as a kid, and then you moved to San Diego, I think it was in high school, but you didn't do very well in the hockey. Matter of fact, weren't you ready to quit? Uh, I, I, was, I didn't want to quit. I just, there was, I was nowhere else to play, and I, I actually got cut from a couple teams uh, when I was uh, first year out of uh, high school. And um, I did that, you know, go to Canada, try for a team. I got cut. That was actually my, my senior year of high school. And then I had to come back and play catch up just to graduate. I actually didn't end up graduating till that that summer um but no it's it you know and even after i was done that next year um i think i was out of hockey for about you know two months and i'd gone to to college to to, to this usiu it was called united states international university that was their first year of the hockey program 
but they had promised uh, so many scholarships and I tried to walk on. And unfortunately, I, not that I wasn't even, I wasn't even good enough, but I, I got mono at the same time. So my career was basically over when I was 17 years old. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> right place, right time. I run into a kid on the beach in La Jolla uh, and that's out in California and San Diego as I was surfing. And it just happened to be one of the kids that was playing on the college team and down in San Diego. He gave me the phone number of the coach in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. I made the call and he flew me up and the rest was history. So just like I said, just a, just a fluke that I end up, you know, where I did. You'd wound up playing on the 1984 U.S. Olympic team along with Eddie Olchek. So he's drafted third in the first round by the Blackhawks. You're drafted 40th by the Canadians. When you look back, do you wish it was the Blackhawks who drafted you? You know, I, I say I wished it was, but that, that's a perfect example. Eddie being a young kid, you know, going home, the distractions, you know, your family, everybody's around. Um, and I think sometimes it might have been better for Eddie to, to if he got drafted by another team and, he, you know, he didn't have all that added pressure. So um, it worked out great for me because when I, you know, I got drafted, I was a little disappointed. But then, you know, being Montreal, the history of that team, and they weren't very good when I, you know, when I got drafted and joined the team they're a fourth place team just struggling to make the playoffs but I think you know it worked out great for me to go there and learn from the best players Bobby you know Ganey Larry Robinson Guy Lafleur um, I always said it was like getting a Harvard degree and Eddie mm -hmm. he kind of got thrown into the fire there a lot of pressure on him being a hometown kid and you know by the time I got back home to Chicago and in and uh I was 29 years old, so it was perfect time for me to go back, and I had the experience of playing in Montreal, and, and it didn't affect me one bit going home and having to deal with all my friends and family. So, you know, there's there's pros and cons to that, but like I said, I don't think it worked out great for Eddie. It was a lot of pressure for a, for a hometown kid, especially, I think he was, you know, 18. If you want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Sports Media Watch on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. We return with Chris Chelios on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You did very well, as you said, in Montreal. You won a Stanley Cup. You won a couple of Norris trophies. We all grew up watching the Habs. What was it like playing and living in Montreal? You know, I'd never been there. Other than I, you know, a few years prior to that, I went and tried out for a team there, but I was only there for a week and I got cut. But we were outside of the city in a town called Hawkesbury, which was all French, you know, in, no English speaking, but uh, unbelievable culture. Uh, it was like being in Europe. Uh, if you're downtown, everybody spoke French and English, so that wasn't an issue. The media, kind of tough because they were having those problems about trying to separate from Canada, Quebec at the time. Yes. And you know, it wasn't necessarily an American 
uh, French thing. It was an English French thing. So I'd never seen so many people that didn't like Montreal or cheered against the Canadians because they didn't, you know, because of what was going on politically. So, but again, uh, fans, very knowledgeable. My first 13 games, I was terrible, had no confidence. Fans were all over you every time you missed a pass or made a mistake. So it was tough, but you know, you got to have thick skin. Thank God I couldn't read the French papers. Um, (laughs) You know, I, we, I played the 13 games regular season after the Olympics and it's like some uh, the, the the light went on or the switch you know went on and my first game I scored a goal and all of a sudden I got my confidence and you know it started playing like I had you know in, in Olympics and in college so I just whatever it was you know I went from a, a real scared player to you know very very confident player overnight and we ended up you know making a pretty good run in the playoffs losing to the Islanders in the semifinals. Uh, and then next year, I did just carried over into the next year. I went on to have a, a really good rookie season with Tom Curvers, and um, you know, and then kind of, then I kind of figured I was good. I I, I I was packing my bags. You know, those last thirteen games I played the first year, thinking I'm going to be in the American League for a while. Uh, but you know, I was there to stay. You know, after that first year in Montreal. So then comes June thirtieth, nineteen ninety, and one of the biggest trades really in NHL history. You were sent to the Blackhawks for Dennis Savard. Take me back to that day, Chelly. Did you have an inkling this would happen? It's either usually Montreal, if you got an early exit in the playoffs or you have a tough year as a team, either the coach goes or a player goes or players go. So it it was just, it it was time for players. And uh, I, P and Pat Burns got along great. He was a heck of a coach and, and, you know, I really respected him. He, I, you know, we got along unbelievably. Um, but the media was tough on me. Um, you know, I was the captain of the team. A lot of pressure on that being an American captain. Uh, and it all played into it. Um, I, I still was shocked because Serge Savard was the general manager at that time. It's definitely a shocker. I'm still a little bit uh Shocked the move. I still think I've got to start playing before I uh, realize that I'm on the Hawks and I'm playing for a different team. But I'm excited about going home and I'm really excited about playing for the Hawks. There's a lot of pressure on him to do something. And, and I believe it was the president of the team, Ronald Corey, there, you know, it talked about being a French Canadian, you know, team. And, you know, Danny Savard was a, you know, to get traded for him. And she's obviously one of the most, you know, popular players ever to play for the Blackhawks along with Bobby Hall. Bakita and Tony and those guys. Uh, but he, you know, he had his issues with Keenan. So um, it was either going to go to Winnipeg for Howard Chuck or to Chicago for Danny Savard. And I thank my lucky stars that, you know, Chicago is where I went. And Serge Savard told me that on the phone call when he traded me that, you know, he did me a favor and he did. And I, I thank him for it, for, you know, trading. I, I wanted to play my whole career in Montreal, but, you know, things happened and it, and it couldn't have worked out any better the way things did my, you know, my first few years, especially when I came back to the Hawks. It was, it was great and great to see friends and coaches and all the, you know, the people that had basically that, you know, were responsible for me, you know, making it to the NHL that, that were from Chicago. What was that like for you to come home and play in, in front of the crowd at the stadium? And that had to be an incredible jolt. Yeah, no better building. And I had my mind made up first game. I was going to get a goal. Up the boards to Chelios with room. He shoots, deflected, score! It's a 4-1 Chicago lead. 
Chelios gets the goal. I think it deflected off a ranger stick into the net. Chelios now with a goal and two assists. Get an assist and get in a fight, and that's just exactly what I did. So you did? <laughs> I got the Cordy Howe in my first game. Yeah, it was amazing. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, who couldn't get excited playing for the, you know, in, from in front of that crowd in the old stadium that walk up the stairs and, you know, we had a really intimidating team, you know, big, tough team. And that was what Keenan and Daryl Sutter kind of encouraged that. We were very undisciplined. But you ask any team that would come into our building, they, they hated it, you know, couldn't wait for it to be over with. But, every, you know, that whole division, Minnesota, Detroit, you know, St. Louis, everybody had their tough guys. And, but, you know, it was it was a heck of a time. And, and, I, and I really enjoyed that style of hockey. And, you know, it, like I said, it couldn't have gone any better. We won the president's you know trophy that first year I was there. And uh, disappointing playoff, you know, again, because we were a very undisciplined team. Took a lot of penalties against Minnesota and lost in the first round, but but you know we made battle back and, and made it to the finals that next year. So it was a like I said a lot of fun, never a dull moment with you know Mike Keenan and Daryl Sutter. Well, I remember it well because I covered just about every home game there was, and, uh, and of course you were swept by a pretty emerging team with Mario Lemieux and Yarmer Yager and the Penguins. But what was it like playing under Keenan? Never a dull moment. He was hard on guys. Um, you know, I, I, I could take it. You know, I, I, I guess you'd call it tough love. Uh, yeah, usually when he was all over me, I deserved it. To You know, that, that was his thing to motivate you. Um, and he was hard on the third, fourth line guys a lot. You know, guys like Brian Noonan, Mike Hudson, uh, Larms. Uh, he took it, not that Larms was the third or fourth line guy, but they, they butt heads. And he, he just tried to push those buttons. But, you know, say what you want. He, he, he took those guys, and when he got you know, the job at New York for the Rangers, he, he took Larmer, Steph Amato, Noonan, Hudson with him. They won a cup. Then when he got fired, he went to Vancouver. I don't think he got fired. He actually went and signed with Vancouver, did the same thing. He took those guys with him, and, you know, he's he pretty loyal. He's just a little bit psychotic for sure. Um, there's no question. <laughs> um, you know, his, I think his biggest problem was, he, he, you know, he wanted to be the GM. And, you know, he went after Pulford's job and the same thing happened to him in Florida. And and then I don't know what happened in Russia. He was the first coach, North American coach to win the championship there. And then they fired him right after that. So, you know, we keep in touch constantly. And, and, and I really enjoy Mike. He's a great person. But like any, you know, like a player, he gets on that ice and that, you know, he get that something switches in their brain and they, they, they just can't control themselves. And that was Mike Keenan. But he fit into you know, perfectly to the, what the Chicago Blackhawks were at that time. Well, think about some of the players that you played with here. Jeremy Roenick, Eddie Belfort, Stu Grimson, Troy Murray, Tony Amante. This was quite a group. Yeah, we, you know, and and we were, we were there, you know, just that, you know, unfortunately, Randon and Mario Lemieux, Mario Lemieux, Ron Francis, Yarmer Yager, you know, Larry Murphy, Larry Murphy, a lot of Hall of Famers. Um, and we were competitive for a while. We just, you know, we and we had the goalie in Eddie Belfort. You know, Pittsburgh had Barrasso that year, and he ended up, you know, he was obviously a Hall of Famer also. But I really thought Eddie, you know, would, would have carried us to the promised land, and not not that it was anything to do with Eddie that we lost, but, you know, Eddie went on to win that cup in Dallas and, and really had a, a really good stint in Toronto. 
Uh, we had all the pieces. We just, you know, that year, you know, we were up in that first game, three to one, let the, the you know, let the lead go. That Yager goal haunts me forever, that we skated through all four guys on the ice and and, and to tie it. But, um, you know, then we never really regained our, our confidence after that game. And But, uh, yeah, the, the great players, great teammates. Special thanks to CBS, the NHL Network, NBC, and Madison Square Garden Productions for those memorable highlights. My thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hansel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duck, you can find them at mrduck.com. Tune in next week when we feature part two with Chris Chelios on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.